0: We're going to be continuing our psalm series through the month of August, and today we're going to be in Psalm 137. So if you can open to Psalm 137, if you're using the Bible in the pew rack, it's on page 521, 521, Psalm 137. Here at Maple Avenue, we show uh, our reverence for God as he speaks to us by standing for the reading of God's word. So would you stand with us? Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us a song, a songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing Yahweh's songs in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Yahweh, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. O daughters of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Be seated as we pray. Father, we come united in our desire to hear you speak. Because we know man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And each of us, in a different way, sense our need to hear you today, and we each submit ourselves under your word to learn from you and to hear from you, and may what we hear go deep into our soul and shape us. In Christ's name, amen. We live today in a unique time wedged between the death and resurrection of Christ and his return. It's a unique time because, in a sense, what Christ has done on the cross has won the victory, right? We talk a lot about that. He defeated sin and death. He was raised up, sits at the right hand of the Father. And yet here we are, before he returns, and even though I sense that God has given me a new heart, and I know the joy of being cleansed, my sin because of the blood of jesus my flesh still kind of rears its ugly head at times and pulls me and tempts me i have a battle against sin within my own heart it's a unique time god's victory has been won and yet there's this still battle raging we live in a day when though though christ has has conquered death we still at a certain level real from the effects of adam's sins or adam's sin and so death is at work amongst us right there is discord and strife in the world there is things that bring heartache and pain there is death and disease and sickness and all these things can weigh on us and there's injustice in the world god hasn't brought his ultimate victory where he vanquishes all his foes and so there is injustice in this world and there are wrongs that are done that have yet to be punished there's some of those injustices have been done to us maybe by people who are very near to us and so it leaves us in this awkward place where we're kind of we know the reality of what Christ has done because it's had such a profound impact on us. And yet there's this still this kind of questioning, this longing. What is going on here? Uh, it seems like it's not as it should be. I have this deeper longing for something more. And it's not yet happened. We sometimes talk about living in the tension of the already, what Christ has already done. And the not yet, what he's not yet done. The New Testament talks about this sometimes as we're living in uh, Exile. Or we're living as sojourners. This world is not our home. Our true home is the new heavens and the new earth. The question I want us to think about today. That I want to set before us. Is a very narrow question. It is this. Given that we live in this conflicting time of the already not yet. Given that we live in this unique period of time. Between Christ's death and resurrection. And His return. How should we sing? How should we sing? That's the question I'm going to set before us today. Because I think it's the question that Psalm 137 is seeking to answer. And I'm going to dig into Psalm 137. But as I do, I just want to provide some context, some backdrop for reading this psalm. Because it's really important to understand the backdrop. So, I'm just going to zoom way, way back for a minute. All the way back to Abraham, you see, the world was a mess because of sin and because of the rebellion in man's hearts. The world was a mess, but God didn't, wasn't going to just abandon the world. He was actually going to do something to redeem the world. And so he takes this man, Abraham, and he says, through you, instead of cursing, there's going to come blessing. And here's how the blessing is going to come. It's going to come through your offspring, and I'm going to establish you as a great nation, and I'm going to give you a special place. We'll fast forward some time and there is this king who most of you are familiar with, King David, who is the great king of Israel. And under him, he actually is able to unite all of Israel and take the city called Jerusalem, which becomes the place that symbolizes God's dwelling with his people. It, It becomes the place that is the headquarters of God's kingdom here on earth. As such, it's not just the politically unifying place for Israel. It is the spiritually unifying place for Israel. You're seeing all that Abraham promised. It seems like it's coming to a head in David and his reign. And then David's son, Solomon, actually builds a temple in the city, according to God's instructions. And this temple becomes a place that's going to be for the healing of the nations. And it's a place also where God's presence dwells with his people it's the symbol of how god dwells with his people kind of the connecting point so this jerusalem or zion as it's sometimes called because the mountain where it was located becomes this very central place in the life of israel when solomon dedicated the temple he called it a place for yahweh to dwell forever And God brought great good to the people of Israel with Jerusalem as their their capital. But as time went on, just a few hundred years after Solomon had dedicated this temple, the Babylonians laid siege to Jerusalem. And after just under two years, they finally were able to break into the city. And the destruction they brought was horrible. Horrible. They completely razed the city. They ransacked the temple from all all the all the gold and precious stones. They brought it to the ground. It was destroyed. So many people were carried off in exile, and as we learn even in this psalm, there was great uh, brutality. Even uh, something that was w- one of the ways people would show brutality in the ancient world was to watch. They would would make parents watch as their children were dashed to pieces on the ground. Then these people, some of them were carried off into Babylon. So you have these people who just had their hearts ripped out of them. Who just seen what, what seems like, what seems like to them, all the promises of God just come collapsing down. And they're sitting by the waters of Babylon. And look at what Psalm 137 says. By the waters of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there, we hung up our lyres. For there, our captors required of us songs. And our tormentors' mirth saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. Now, with the picture that you have, right, you know that these, these Babylonian captors are not saying this because, hey, five years ago this was a top 40 hit and we really liked the tune. Could you sing it for us? They are mocking Israel and mocking Israel's God. You see, while they were in Jerusalem, they had these songs that they would sing that were songs that would talk about how Jerusalem is God's special place and God's blessing is upon them and, and God's good kingdom and His power over the other kingdoms. Psalm 48 is one of these, one such psalms, a psalm of Zion, a song of Zion. So they had these songs that would celebrate God's power and God's, God's strength as exhibited in this city, the blessed city. And so they're saying, Oh, you who we just conquered, you whose city we just raised and whose temple we just destroyed, (laughs) why don't you sing us one of those songs, those joyous, mirth-filled songs about your great city? They were mocking them, and they were mocking their faith. They were goading them. They were saying, this faith that you have, these songs of confidence in your God What are they doing for you now? Great, it's it's nice to believe when everything's going well, but when it seems like nothing is happening as it should. <laughs> you still gonna sing? You can still sing one of those songs? Which leads us to the crucial crucial question we have in verse 4. How shall we sing Yahweh's song in a foreign land? How shall we sing Yahweh's song in a foreign land? That's really the question I posed at the beginning. Now our, our exile is very different than theirs in a lot of ways. But still, we live in this time where it seems like some of God's promises, some of the things he said he d- would do, he's not yet done. And so we're saying, what's going on? It doesn't seem like God really is the one in control. It, it seems like maybe the things that God has said aren't true. And we live in this tension where we're being pulled by the land of our sojourn, the land of our exile. And it's, pulling us to, it's causing us to want to doubt and question whether, whether what's promised for us is real. And so the question they ask for themselves, how are we to sing the Lord's song in a foreign land, is the question we need to be asking as well. Now some take verse 4 as a rhetorical question, like (laughs) we can't sing in such a land, but I don't think that would be accurate, because we should always be singing Yahweh's songs, no matter where we are. So I think this is actually asking a real question. How are we to sing in this situation, We've just had our hearts stripped out of us and everything that seems, it seems as though everything God had said is falling apart. How are we to sing? And the last five verses of the psalm answer that for us. Do we just abandon singing altogether? Do we abandon faith? No. In fact, I think there are three specific ways, three keys for singing songs as exiles. And we see this because there's three different uh, parties addressed. So the first one in five and six is "O Jerusalem," verse seven is "O Yahweh," and verses eight and nine are "O daughters of Babylon." So we're going to look at these three different groups that are addressed and learning how to sing. So we see first in verses five and six. I think we need to sing songs that help us keep, help us fight to keep Zion. As our highest joy. If I forget you. O Jerusalem. Let my right hand forget its skill. In other words. A curse beyond me if I forget you. And then he adds another curse to it. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. A curse beyond me such that I'm not even able to sing anymore if I don't make central to my songs songs that help me fight to keep Zion as our highest joy or even, as the psalm says, above our highest joy. Now, this is a very wise thing for these exiles to sing because it's easy when you've been ripped from your homeland and it's all fresh and that's the place you live and that's the place you know you you have your memories and and your family was there to to long for that homeland right it's it's going to be your highest joy but the longer you are away from it and the longer you're surrounded by things that say oh look at the beauties of babylon look at the new memories you're forming here it's easy to get pulled away and forget jerusalem there's a reason they don't want to forget it and it's not just because It was the place that they grew up and it's the place that they loved because they say, I want you to be not just my highest joy, but above my highest joys. The reason they long for Jerusalem is because it was the symbol. It was the representation of God's reign on this earth where he brings his blessing and his goodness over and against the fallen, broken world around them. It was a symbol of God's presence with his people, of his reign. Now there's a greater movement in the scriptures. More than just that Jerusalem, but for what the New Testament calls the new Jerusalem. Which the end of Revelation depicts the the new heavens and the new earth when Jerusalem in a sense comes down from the sky as Revelation will describe it. That is a place where God's eternal kingdom and his eternal rule and all its goodness and all its blessings will be set up. And the longing then within the scriptures from the very beginning of Genesis all the way through is this longing for that day when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom, his Jerusalem. And that should be our ultimate longing. That is our true home. Think of the things that bring us joy. What are the things that bring us joy here on earth? There's all sorts of things. Basically, anything that you want and you get it, you get joy out of that, right? So uh, if, you, if you desire the, the closeness and love of family and then you have a family, there's great joy in that. If you, if you desire to see your children do well or your grandchildren thriving and you see that, there's joy in that. If, if you desire your sports team to win. And they win. There's joy. When they lose, there's plummet. Above all of that, what's in your heart? What do you love? What brings you the greatest joy? Or something that we need to value and love higher than that? A deepest longing for our true home, the new Jerusalem. That Jesus will bring. The songs we sing. Need to help us long. For that kingdom. For that city. For Zion. You know we mentioned that we have communion before us today. And one of the things that Jesus did. When he has instituted this meal that we have. Is as Paul describes it. He gave us this. So that we could proclaim lord's death until he comes or until he returns so this meal in a sense represents that that reminder that there's something greater this, this this victory that christ has won through his body and his blood causes us to long for his return and say look we know it's going to happen because of what jesus did how do we sing songs like that i just want to say there are some wonderful songs That help us to long for Zion and keep it our highest joy. This is the lyrics to one. It says, That day is coming when righteousness shall reign, and darkness will be chained for good. So we watch and we wait for that day when heaven's light will break the skies and we'll see the truth from lies. And this world's darkness is finally through. And Jesus will make all things new. That day is coming. You sing songs like that. That remind us in this struggle. That there is this day coming. That where our highest joys are met. Now. There are also a lot of songs about heaven out there. That don't necessarily have that weight of of longing for the true Zion. You know. Um. Songs that are just kind of trite little ditties about heaven and how we're going to smile a lot there. Or songs singing about uh, the reunion we're going to have with all our loved ones out there. I think of a song that was popular when I was growing up uh, by a, a singer named Ray Boltz called Thank You. And uh, he describes this scene in heaven. It's this dream, supposedly. The premise of the song is this guy has a dream and he sees his friend in heaven who's done all sorts of good things on earth. And at the end of the song, the picture is, it says, and one by one they came as far as the eye could see. Each one's touched by your generosity, the things you've done, the sacrifices made. And then it describes Jesus coming and taking him and holding him up and looking him out. All the hosts of heaven gathered around him saying, good job. And he says, this is your reward. some truth in the song of there's treasure in heaven that's not noticed on earth and, but the picture of heaven of all of the hosts gathered around me telling me how great I am is completely bankrupt scripturally right? That's not what, if that's what you're longing for then that's not fighting to keep Zion as your highest joy this is talking about something substantial where it's saying the goodness that Jesus brings the things that he makes right and longing for that kingdom and keeping that our highest joy. So sing songs that help you keep, fight to keep Zion as your highest joy. And then in verse 7, sing songs that entreat God to fulfill his word. Sing songs that entreat God to fulfill his word. So it says, remember, O Yahweh, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. Now, a, a couple things. One, one, one thing that we should know here, Edom is a long descendant of, uh, th- th- there were two brothers that were part of the line of Abraham, uh, Isaac and Jacob, sorry, uh, um, Esau and I'm blinking. Someone. Jacob and Esau. There we go. (coughs) Uh, It's vacation mine. Sorry. (laughs) Jacob and Esau were brothers. Descendants of Abraham. And through Jacob comes the people of Israel. Becomes Israel. But Esau becomes the people of Edom. And they don't follow after Yahweh. And when Babylon is destroying Jerusalem, the Edomites, long descendants—you know, common descendants, right? Come and they, they mock Israel at their fall, and they cheer on Babylon and their destruction. Oh, the, the Book of Obadiah is written all about it. So you have that situation, but but what's going on here in this prayer and this longing is not this—it's uh, not a prayer saying. Man, those Edomites, we don't like them. God, will you get them? Will you destroy them? not this kind of vengeful spirit. And here's what you need to see in order to understand that. Just just turn ahead in your Bible to Ezekiel chapter 25, page 713. Page 713, Ezekiel 25 verses 12 through 14. So Ezekiel was a prophet during the time that these exiles were alive. So these prophets these exiles seeing Psalm 137 would have heard Ezekiel prophesy. This would have been something that a a word of his that they would have known about most likely. All right. So Ezekiel 25 verse 12. Thus says the Lord Yahweh. Because Edom acted revengefully against the house of Judah and has grievously offended in taking vengeance on them, Therefore, thus says the Lord Yahweh, I will stretch out my hand against Edom and cut off from it man and beast, and I will make it desolate from Teman even to Dedan. They shall fall by the sword, and I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel, and they shall do in Edom according to my anger and according to my wrath, and they shall know my vengeance, declares the Lord Yahweh. So the prophet had come along and said this. Now you think about hearing Ezekiel say that, right? So you've just had your whole life turned upside down. You're, you're in exile and you're hearing the prophet say, I'm going to take vengeance on Edom. Now the temptation in your heart would be to say something like, Yeah, right, God. Where were you a year ago? Strong and mighty. Uh-huh. That would be the temptation in your heart. But the song they sing in exile is actually a song of faith. It's not a song saying, yeah, God, we don't like them. We don't like how they treated them, so get them for us. It's a song saying, God, we believe that what you have said you will do. We are pleading with you. We are asking you, fulfill what you have said you will do. Fulfill your word. How do we sing? songs of Yahweh in a foreign land. We look deep into the scriptures and see what he has said he will do. And we plead with him accordingly. Again, there are just great, rich songs out there that do this. One of mine, uh, one of my favorites, uh, has these lines in it. Talks about the reality of this. Situation we live in while still taking God's word and entreating Him in light of what He has said in the Bible. It says, The serpent's brood increase, the powers of hell grow bold, the conflicts thicken, faith is low, and love is waxing cold. It describes our situation. How long, O Lord our God, holy, true, And good. Wilt thou not judge. Thy suffering church. Her sighs and tears and blood. Come then Lord Jesus. Come. Come then Lord Jesus. Come then Lord Jesus. Come come come. And then it says. The whole creation groans. And wait to hear that voice. That shall restore her comeliness. And make her waste. Rejoice. Come, Lord, and wipe away the curse, the sin, the stain, and make this blighted world of ours thine own fair world again. See, when you sing songs like that, what it does to your soul, yes, this is a hard situation. Yes, it seems like things are getting worse. And yet, I pray this holy, good, just God, will you come and make this, this, foul world, your own fair world again. And it lifts you up and it gives you hope. You're taking the in, it, the promises that God has made and you're praying to Him in response to that. Then we get verses to verses 8 and 9. These are the verses I think probably that make us all a little uncomfortable. Um, I was probably the most uh, unashamed of anything in the Bible evangelist I've ever known is a guy named Gene Helsel. He was just one of these kind of tell it like it is, roll up your sleeves. He wasn't a hellfire and brimstone kind of guy, but when the Bible was, he was. You know what I mean? One of the things he liked to do is write songs in light of the Psalms. So one of his approaches. Hey, we should be reading, singing Psalms. Well, I have a recording of some of his Psalms and he has psalm 137 and i remember the first time i was going to preach psalm 137 and i was reading through it and i got to verse seven and i thought the psalm ended there because gene helsel ended his psalm 137 at verse seven gene Helsel of all people's leaving out verses eight and nine so you can see these are tricky little two tricky little verses right Blessed shall be who takes your little one and dashes them against the rock. How does that inform how we sing? In order to understand what's going on in these verses, there's there's two things we need to understand. One One is a basic concept that Romans 1 brings out, but it's elsewhere in scripture. And that is one of the ways God shows his wrath on people. When people are rebelling against God, One of the ways he shows his wrath is by removing his grace, his restraining grace from them. So in a sense, he says, the way you're going to know my wrath is by me giving, giving rain to your flesh. So you can see the natural fruit that your fleshly rebellious ways bring. So you have to understand in this world, there's what theologians like to call common grace. I don't like it because it makes it seem, oh, it's just common grace. But it's this God's presence in this world that is actively and continually restraining us from being as bad and as evil as we can be. And yet when there is rebellion, God withdraws that common grace to a certain level and allows us, in a sense, to take the very things we're choosing to come back on our own head and for us to feel the weight of that, a sort of active wrath of God upon us that comes from his removing his grace Upon us. So that is a way that God shows his vengeance or, or, or displays his, his punishment upon us. Now, it doesn't mean then that the things that come as he restrains from us that God views as good or right things. It's quite the opposite. The thing that's good and right about it is, is it's the natural consequence of pursuing our own rebellious way. So, with that in mind, and knowing what Babylon had done, so they, they had conquered Jerusalem and they had taken these babies and, and thrown them against the ground in their eyes. Turn to one other, there's one other thing I want us to see and that's from Isaiah chapter 13. That's on page 800 or 577, 577, Isaiah 13 and verse 16. Now, if you look at the top of uh, Isaiah 13, verse 1, it says this is an oracle concerning Babylon. So looking out at Babylon's future, what's going to happen, the prophet Isaiah um, gives this prophecy, what's going to happen to Babylon? And verse 16 says, their infants will be dashed in pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered. And their wives ravished. So the prophet Isaiah says. A day is coming for Babylon. When the kind of evil that they have done. Because I am removing that common grace. is going to be. It's going to come back upon their own head. The very things that they're practicing. It will become less restrained in this world. And they will experience the same evils. That's what the, the prophet Isaiah says. Right, And so what's going on in Psalm 137, verses 8 and 9, again, is not a uh, kind of sick, twisted heart that is longing for infants to be punished. God says he does not punish children for the sins of their fathers. That is not in his character. This isn't an Israelite saying, They did that to me. I want it done to them. Rather, what's going on here, like in the previous verse, verse 7, is a a statement of confidence that what God has said through his prophet Isaiah will come about. But now it's not entreating the Lord. Now it's actually saying it to the Babylonians. You see who's being addressed? Oh, daughters of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Think about it. You've just conquered this people. You got them sitting by the water. And you kind of mockingly say, oh, sing us one of those songs about how mighty your God is. And they say, okay, how, how should we sing a song? And they start by saying, I'll never forget the God who makes his home in Jerusalem and who established that kingdom and that will be my longing. May a curse be on me if I don't. And then, oh Lord, you have said that you will punish the Edomites. God, do what you've said, even though it doesn't make sense. But then they actually turn to their captors. They turn to you and they say, oh Babylon's daughters, the very things that you did to us Are going to come back on your own head. And blessed be the one. Through whom God brings his vengeance upon you. It's a pretty gutsy thing to say. It doesn't make any sense. From a worldly perspective. To be so confident that God is that powerful. That God is that sovereign over everything. Even in the midst of this situation. To be able to say to your very captors. Yes but God has said that your sin will come back on your own head. But that's what they do. So the third kind of songs that we need to sing are songs that demonstrate faith that God will fulfill his word. It's close to the second one. The second one was entreating God in light of his word, but this one is actually speaking to others that demonstrate faith that God will fulfill his word. We sang one such song just a little bit ago and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom Is sure. One little word shall fell him. It's the same type of song here being sung in verses 8 and 9. Devil, you're grim, but we're not afraid. One little word shall fell you. how do we sing in a foreign land we sing songs that help us fight to keep Zion our highest joy we sing songs that entreat God to fulfill his word we sing songs that demonstrate faith that God will fulfill his word but you probably gathered this I don't think Psalm 137 is really about singing per se there's great wisdom in in finding songs like this and, and filling our minds with this when we live in this period hung between the cross and the return of Christ. But this is even more about shaping our minds and steering our hearts in right ways while we sojourn on this earth. Now song is the most powerful way to do that, right? God has given us song as something that does shape our mind and And give shape to our heart. Steers our hearts. But that's what we need to be doing. We need to be taking these kind of truths. Remembering Zion. Fighting to keep it above our highest joy. entreating the Lord to fulfill his word. Being rude enough in the word that we can do that. And demonstrating that we have faith. That God will do his word. I think that's what psalm 137 would have us do in a sense that's the very thing that the table here would have us do so as i pray i'm going to ask those who'll be serving communion to come forward father we're thankful for this psalm it reminds us of the faith they had which which all proved true You were mightier than Babylon. Babylon fell as you said they would. Seventy years later, those very exiles returned to Jerusalem and rebuilt it. So this psalm reminds us, Lord, of how we should think in this day when we sometimes are frustrated or confused because you haven't returned yet. And there's still these hard things we have to deal with. And I pray that we would be a people who hold on to the joy and the hope of the new Jerusalem, who trust your word and plead with you in light of it, and who speak with confidence to others in light of our faith that you will do what you've said you've done. You will do what you've said you will do. Pray in Christ.